You know, many times I think well in advance of what I'm going to preach on Sundays to come. And so sometimes there are weeks in advance I, pre- I know ahead what I'm going to preach uh, or teach on particular Sundays. Sometimes it's months in advance. So I kind of knew what I was going to preach this Sunday morning. Oh, they're telling me we forgot to take the offering. All right, we'll do it. Okay, let's receive our morning's offering, please. Uh, RSOs will pass around the offering buckets and your please pray and uh, give to the kingdom of the Lord this morning. And we'll kind of just go ahead right into the message. So I usually prepare and know ahead of time what I'm going to preach and so on. And I knew what we had to talk about, what we had to study together this morning. But uh, this was one of those messages where I really struggled to find a title. So I'll just give you all the titles we, we talked about, and you just pick your own title this morning. The first title we talked about was Rediff Mail, but you spell it R-E-D-I-F-F-M-A-L-E, or Rediff Female. So that's the title you can use if you want to. Another one was We Are Aliens, so you can use that title. Aliens, Be a Nonconformist, None of This World. We kind of have all kinds of titles, so I don't know what title would be the best one for this. You take your pick. But just for, uh, for our purpose of discussion, I'm just calling it, we're different. So look at your neighbor and say, you're different. So that's the message this morning. We are different. Let's turn in our Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 2, and we're going to look at verse 9. 1 Peter 2, verse 9. First Peter chapter 2 and verse 9. Peter writes here in First Peter chapter 2 verse 9. He says, But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. You are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, kings and priests, a holy nation, a consecrated race, his own special people. You and I are God's own special people. Amen. If you're a Christian, you're a believer, you are God's own special person. You are God's chosen one. And the reason the Bible says we are all this, and what we are supposed to be doing is this. We are supposed to be proclaiming, publishing, declaring the praises, the excellencies, the wonderfulness, the attributes of the one who called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. So when people see you as a Christian, they need to see the excellencies of the God who called you. Amen? So you and I are here to make God look good. Amen? God should look good when they see you and they see me. They should say, wow, your God's really good. They've got to see how excellent He is, how wonderful He is, how, you know, His, His praises. They have to see that when they see you, when they see me. Now the Bible says we've been called out of darkness and into His light. 
That means we were once living in darkness. Darkness was our environment. Darkness shaped our thought process. Darkness shaped our behavior. Darkness shaped our culture. But God put us out, pulled us out of darkness. He brought us into light. So light is our environment. Light shapes our thought processes. Light shapes our behavior. Light is our culture right now. Amen. And because you are light and not part of darkness, you're really different. Amen. So look at your neighbor and say, you're different. Now when you talk about darkness and light, you look in the New Testament about darkness. Here's what we find about darkness. Just to give you a quick summary. What do we see about darkness in the New Testament? We see first of all that darkness is a place where those doing evil deeds hide. In John 3.18 it says, men love darkness more than light because their deeds were darkness. So darkness is a place where those who are doing the wrong things, they want to hide there. We see that darkness talks about the power of Satan in Acts 26 and 18. It says, you know, I want you to bring God, the Lord speaking to Paul. He says, I want you to bring people out of darkness into light from the power of Satan to God. So darkness really refers to the power of Satan. Darkness in Romans 2.19 talks about those who are spiritually blind. In 2 Corinthians 6, 14 and 15, darkness refers to the realm of the unsaved. It's the realm in which the unsaved live. The realm of unrighteousness, the domain of Satan. That's darkness. In Ephesians 6, 12, it talks about that we are fighting against demons of darkness, against rulers of darkness. So once again, darkness is referring to the realm in which demons operate. Not a nice environment to be in. The good thing is this, we've been brought out of darkness and into Light. And what do we see about light? Light in the New Testament, the Bible says that Jesus is the light. Jesus said in John 8, 12, I am the light of the world. He who follows me will not walk in darkness. Light refers to the kingdom of the Lord Jesus. It says we are delivered from the powers of darkness and translated into the kingdom of His dear Son in Colossians 1, 13. Light uh, in First Thess- Thessalonians 5, 5, the Bible says, We are children of the day. We are children of the light. First John 1, 5 says, God is light. There is no darkness. So when you look at light in the New Testament, it's referring to the domain where God is. And in fact, the Bible says, and if we, let's go to Ephesians 5, the Bible tells us something about living in the light. If we go to Ephesians chapter 5, it's hot in here. Just tell a neighbor it's going to get a little more warm. He's turning the fire on. Ephesians 5 and verse 8 says, You were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Believer, you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Therefore it says, Walk as children of light. Walk, meaning not just your footsteps, meaning uh, your whole existence, your life, the way you live, your behavior, everything should be patterned after those who live in the light, not as of those who live in darkness. He says, walk as somebody who is in the light. Now, you know, when you walk as somebody who is in the light, you're going to run against those who are in darkness. Amen? Because they're darkness, you're light. You're weird to them. You're an alien. They don't understand you. Which planet did you come from? 
I know men are from Mars. Women are from Venus. But where are you from? They can't figure us out. Why? Because we are lights. Amen? And so we're just going to be running totally opposite to those who are in darkness. The Bible says we are to walk as children of light. The others are walking as people of darkness. We're, we're going in different directions. We're different. And look down in verse 11. It says, And have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather expose them. So the Bible says, because you're a, a person of the light and you have to walk according to the light, he says, have no fellowship, no partnership. When you talk about fellowship, you can just think about two fellows in the same ship. But the Bible says you can't get into their ship. Because have, have no fellowship with those who are in darkness. But you walk. But instead you expose them. So you can't get into the same ship. You have to drive or ride in your own ship. The ship of light. They may be going to the ship of darkness. You don't jump in there with them. The Bible says have no fellowship with them. With the works of darkness, with the deeds of darkness. You cannot partner with them in the same works that they're doing. You're light. Amen? Romans 12, verse 2. Again, a very familiar scripture. Romans 12, verse 2. The Bible says, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed. Do not conform, that is, take on the form, the fashion, the appearance, the habit, the manner, the lifestyle, the behavior of this world. Do not pattern yourself after the world, but instead be transformed. The word transformed, as you know, it comes from the Greek word metamorphosis. It's the difference between a caterpillar and a butterfly. The, so the word he says, take on a different form, a different behavior, a different thought pattern. Take a different form. Do not be conformed, but be transformed. Amen? When you're transformed, you are really different from the world. So you and I cannot be conformed to the world. We are called by God to be transformed, to be different from the world. Now the message Bible says this, of verse 2. Do not become so well adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. Don't become so adjusted to the culture around you that you just fit into it without even thinking. Now many of us say, well, you know, you ask somebody, why do you do it? Well, it's part of the culture. Well, my Bible says, don't fit into the culture without even thinking of it. Because there's something more important than the culture. It's the word of God. What did God say in his word? Listen, if there's something that's in the culture which contradicts the word of God, there's one thing that you have to obey, that's the word of God. God's word supersedes our culture. Amen? And the Bible says, don't be conformed to this world the word world in the greek is the age which which refers to the behavior of, of that present time don't conform yourself to the culture of the world around you instead be transformed that's the command of god it's not a it's not a suggestion amen so this morning i want to 
really address two specific things. Thank God there's only two. Amen. Just two things, uh, two areas in which you and I are different. Look at your neighbor and say, you're on the operating table. Get ready for the surgery. (laughs) All right, I've got you on the table right now, whether you realize it or not. Here's the first cut. (laughs) We're different because we are committed to integrity and honesty. Amen? You're a person of light. As a person of light, you're going to walk in integrity and honesty. The world has, doesn't care about this. They are people of, the dark, of darkness. Darkness has no concern for integrity and honesty. But listen, the Bible says you're a person of light. You've got to walk as children of light. That means you are committed to integrity and honesty. Right there in 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 12. In verse 9 he said, you know, we are to show for the praises of him. That's what we just read. On in verse 12 he says, walk honorably or honestly before the Gentiles. The unsaved world. As believers we are called to walk in honesty. In in a good way before the unsaved world. And so we as believers, as people of the light, must be committed to integrity and Honesty. Amen. So people are going to look at you and say, man, you're different. Because you are committed to integrity and honesty. This means that if you're a student in school or in college, it means that you don't copy your, in your exams. Amen. I told you it's going to be hot here. So, you know, you're sitting there doing your exam. And as all, as most invigilators do, your invigilator has gone out for a cup of tea. Which takes him 15 minutes to drink. So 15 minutes, everybody's coughing full, free. And the person sitting next to you says, here, here, copy, copy, copy. The person sitting on your right says, here, here, look at mine. And the person sitting on the left of you says, look at mine. And your eyes just, God, help me. And you refuse to copy and cheat in your exam, not because you're afraid that the invigilator will walk back in, but because you know you're a child of the light. Amen? It means that you don't take a printout of the assignment done by your classmate, change the name, put your name and say, I've done my assignment. You don't do that. Why? Because you have committed to integrity and honesty. Amen? Let's talk to the professionals. We've talked to the students now. We get to the professionals. As professionals, we maintain, as employees, as professionals, we maintain integrity in our life. You're a professional, but you're a Christian. You're a professional, but you're a professional of the light, which makes you different from a professional who comes from darkness. Both of you may be in the same area of business, but you're totally different people. Amen? And because you are committed to integrity and honesty, you do not lie on your resume. Amen? 
And I just, you know, when I was first applying for my very first job, I'd, I'd spent all my time up, up to that point in the university, doing research in the university. It was time for me to get a job outside the university. And in the university, it's a very, very closed environment. All you have is professors and students. Everything is fine. Right? Uh, and this was my first time applying for a job outside. So I did what everyone would normally do. So give your resume to a placement agency. Uh, a friend of mine. This was in New Jersey. A friend of mine introduced me to a placement agency that was run by an Indian, some Indian guys. Said, you know, give your resume to them. They'll place you very easy, no problem. So I gave my resume to them. I get a call back from them saying, you know, we need to touch up your resume. So okay, uh, we need to give you two, three years experience. Uh, okay. Uh, so they reworked my resume and sent it. And all of a sudden, overnight, I had two years, two, three years of experience. All these companies I never heard of. I was supposed to have worked for them and done all these wonderful things. And this is my first job outside the university. I had a choice. I could be different. I could be a child of the light or I could be a child of darkness. I told him, listen, I cannot go on this resume. I broke my interaction with them. My resume was one simple one-page resume. That was it. This is my first job outside the university. That was it, one-page resume. But I sent it out directly. I said, forget those guys. I can't work with this kind of thing. I'll send it out. God will provide. God provided me a job in a good company where I learned some of the best practices that were in the industry. Amen? I didn't have to lie. I didn't have to fake anything on my resume. Now, I constantly interview people. I mean, last week, I, uh, this past week, and last week, I interviewed some people. Here comes one guy. And uh, I was talking to him. Uh, and I asked him how, you know, he did the technical test. We have a technical test. He did it fine. He came, so he came to last round of me talking to me. I said, you know, okay, so whom did you work for? He mentioned some company. I said, oh, do they have a website? He said, yeah. He gave me the website. I went to the URL, looked at it. I said, well, this looks like a search engine company. It doesn't look like a, you know, software development company. He said, well, maybe they changed the website. Okay. Uh, do you have the phone number for this company? He said, uh, well, you know, I came from that place. I changed my SIM card, so I don't have the phone number. I said, well, do you have a landline number? Uh, I said, no. I said, you said you worked for them for one year. And in one year, you cannot under, did not remember, you do not remember the landline number of the company. In our company, after people work for two days, they know our phone number. Something is wrong here. And then he told me the truth. I remember I was at a conference, a Christian conference. I was preaching for three days in a certain place. And in between the sessions... We're taking a break and a group of uh, pastors came and we're just kind of talking a little bit before having tea and before going into the next session. And they come and say, hey, uh, Pastor, you know, we want to introduce this young man. Uh, he's, just come to, he's just come to Bangalore. He's looking for a job in a certain uh, area of software development. Uh, we want to introduce him. I said, hi, what's your name? He said this. And he said, you know, I said, so what's your background? What, what have you done? He said, you know, uh, I've, done, I've, I've, I've done a three-month course, but I'm going on five years experience. Uh, I said, I understand that statement. I've done a three-month three, year, three month course, but I'm going on a five-year experience. I said, you know, I'll talk to you later. You meet me when you come to Bangalore. I couldn't. I need to understand that statement. All right, so I came back to Bangalore. He came. He met me. He told me his whole story. He was working in a pastor, with a pastor for two years. He was assisting his pastor in full-time ministry. He felt he needed to get back, uh, get a job. And so, you know, he went and he joined a professional course. He did a three-month course. And after three-month course, he needed to get a job, of course. And so he did up his resume. And it's very fine. He said, you know, I'm telling you this because you're a pastor. I actually did a three-month course, but I'm going on a five-year resume. I said, what do you mean five-year resume? And he showed his resume. Five years, all fake experience. 
I don't know whether to laugh or cry. At least he told me the truth. I can be happy about that. But I felt like crying. Here's a man who's been in the church, serving God for two years, full time. Now wanting to get a job and he doesn't know left from right, truth from dishonesty. And I asked him, I said, you know what you're doing is wrong, don't you? He said, yeah. So why are you doing it? He said, because I have to get a job. The Bible says you're supposed to walk as a child of light. Amen. There's no compromise in your integrity as a, as a professional. You know, as a professional, as an employee, as a Christian employee, you got to make sure you don't misuse office facilities. Amen? Do you know it's in the Bible? How many of you know it's in the Bible? Turn with me to Titus chapter 2. See, I had to give you chapter and verse, otherwise you won't believe me. Titus chapter 2, verse 9 and 10. As a Christian employee, do not misuse your office facilities. Titus chapter 2. Some of you say Titus is not in my Bible. <laughs> Titus chapter 2, verse 9 and 10. Verse 9. Exhort or encourage bond servants. Now, some of you may be, may not, none of us would be bond servants, but some of you may be employees with a bond. You qualify. Exhort bond servants or employees. It's just an old term, but talking about employees. Exhort employees to be obedient to their own masters or to their own employers. To be well-pleasing in all things, not answering back. Don't talk back to your boss. It's a, a Bible management principle number 101. Amen? It's right there. Don't talk back to your boss. Verse 10. Titus chapter 2 verse 10. Not pilfering, but showing all good fidelity that they may adorn the doctrine of God as Savior in all things. Not pilfering. That means not? What? Yeah. Employees, obey your employers in everything. Be well-pleasing. Don't talk back and don't steal. But be but show all good honesty. It's in the Bible. Amen? So as a Christian employee, you say, but you know, everybody else does. Everybody does it. Yeah, but that's why you're different. Amen? Do not conform yourselves to the 65 people in your office. You be the one who's going to be different. You say, but it's part of our company culture. It's an unsaid thing that in addition to your salary, you get free perks. You can take whatever you want from the office. It may be an unstated culture in your office, but you don't conform to that culture. Because you are a child of light. You've been called out of darkness to walk in light. As an employee, you give what you're being paid for. Philippians 2 verses 14 and 15, the Bible says, Do everything without grumbling and complaining, so that you can show yourself to be a child of God in the middle of a perverse and wicked generation. How are you going to show yourself that you are a child of God in the middle of a wicked and perverse generation? How? It says, do all things without grumbling and complaining. Amen? 
If Babu, who sits next to you, is grumbling and complaining, and you grumble and complain just like him, what's the difference? How can you show that you are a child of the light? But the Bible says, do everything without grumbling and complaining. Amen? I warned you, it's going to get hard in here. Now, how about talking to those who are managers? Those who are employees. Now, all employees, you can look at your bosses. Now, make sure he's awake. How about talking to those of us who are employers? Those of us who run businesses and those who, who are managers, who make decisions about salaries and other things who are for those working for us. Here's what the Bible tells you and me. It says in Leviticus, the 19th chapter, the Bible tells us not to exploit people and not to hold back wages. Leviticus 19, verse 13. You shall not cheat your neighbor, nor rob him. The wages of him who is hired shall not remain with you all night until morning. You have somebody working for you, you better make sure that they get paid on time. Amen? So, well, it's part of our Indian company culture that we pay 30 days, you know, we just hold back salaries and all that. No, 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 listen, you don't belong to this Indian company culture. You belong to the kingdom of God. Amen? And God says, don't hold back the wages of the person whom you hired. If he's done his job that evening, get him paid. Get him off your back. Jeremiah, the 22nd chapter, verse 13. You didn't know all this was in the Bible, did you? It's a good HR manual. Jeremiah, the 22nd chapter. And verse 13, here God says this in Jeremiah 22, 13. Woe to him who builds his house by unrighteousness and his chambers by injustice, who uses his neighbor's service without wages and gives him nothing for his work. Don't use your neighbor's services without giving him something for what he's done and holding back his wages. Amen? So if you're a manager, you're deciding the salaries of those who are working for you, you're an employer, uh, or you have, you're a housewife, you've got a mate working for you, make sure you pay them on time. Amen? Be different. No, I've met people, young people come for interviews. Uh, I ask them, why are you leaving? You say, you know, I've worked for six months. I've not get, got paid for six months. So how big is your company? It's a 100-man company, 700-people company. And they haven't paid you in the last six months? They haven't paid. But you can't do that as a Christian. God doesn't approve of it. Amen? I ran into another contractor. He'd done some work for a big a uh, software company here in Bangalore. Uh, he had set up that whole, you know, rooftop uh, thing and all of that. And for uh, invested lots of lakhs of rupees in that thing and he hasn't got paid for two years. If I give you the name of the company, you'll, most of you will know the company. But they haven't paid him. But you as a Christian can't do that. You are a person of the light. Amen. So we must learn to maintain integrity and honesty in all areas of life, in everyday things. Employers, Ephesians 6, 9 says, don't, don't steal, uh, don't threaten. 
So maintain integrity in everyday things, in your, in your speech, in your conduct. You know, I, I, sat, I sat in a room. I was meeting with some person here, a very respected person. I was sitting next to him. We were waiting for somebody to come in. He came in. This person who was hosting, he offered us some coffee. So I accepted coffee. The person who came and said, you know, uh, no, no, I don't want coffee. I just had a big breakfast. Fine. Then uh, we turned around to the host as it was nice manners to do and said, would you, aren't you also having something? He said, no, no, I'm fasting today. The moment the host said, I'm fasting, this person all of a sudden said, I'm also fasting today. I said, uh, and my manners thing, excuse me, two minutes back, you just said you had a big breakfast. All of a sudden to impress your host, you're saying you are fasting. What happened? Where is this thing called honesty? Where is this thing called integrity? I mean, we're all supposed to be spiritual Christians, but where is integrity? Aren't we supposed to be different from the world? Aren't we supposed to be people of light? Aren't we supposed to be non-conforming to the world, but transformed and live according to the ways and thoughts of God? Amen? The second area that I want to talk about that I want to get into now is we are different because we are committed to purity and modesty. We are committed to purity and modesty. We're different because we are committed to purity and modesty. Right there in 1 Peter 2, after verse 9, comes verse 11, which he says, And abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul. So he says, stay away from these fleshly lusts. So part of me proclaiming the praises of the one who called me out of darkness into his marvelous light means I need to abstain from fleshly lusts. I'm committed to purity and modesty. Amen? So let me first talk to the young ladies in the church. All the young ladies, look at me. Oh, you don't want to don't look at me, just look down. It's okay. <laughs> but listen. I wonder, how many of you know Rebecca St. James? She's not part of our church. <laughs> how many of you know Rebecca St. James? Come on, she's not that. I thought she was more famous than that. Come on, put your hands up high. Don't be ashamed. Rebecca St. James, how many of you know? All right. Okay. Last week, she did an interview with uh, Amy Gottman, this uh, interview. Uh, she did an interview with FamilyLife.com. And here's a transcript that Amy sent me, and I just really want to read it out to our young ladies in the church. So every person, please make sure the young lady next to you is listening intently. Right? And uh, the topic was dedicated to modesty. Now, Rebecca St. James, for parents, in case you didn't know, who your kids were listening to, Rebecca St. James is uh, one of the leading or well-known, I wouldn't say leading, but well-known Christian rock artist. Um, she sings a lot of Christian songs which your teens and 20s are listening to. And here's what she says on this interview, or what she said on the interview. They're talking about dedicated to modesty. I'm just reading the ex excerpts of it. It's in the uh, Americanese, so please try to listen carefully. She says, yes, I mean, I suppose I have placed my own sense of attractiveness in different things. You know, because I know that the kind of things that I wear draw a certain kind of guy. And ultimately, the guy I want to have as a husband is a guy that's committed to purity. He doesn't want to lust, you know. And so he, by what I'm wearing, if I'm dressing kind of seductively in what I'm wearing, 
I'm going to be attracting a guy that's okay with that. And it almost says that I'm impure. But that he's, but that he's okay with that. Whereas if I'm dressing modestly, it's going to attract a guy that respects that and appreciates that. So I'm okay with dressing that way. The state, one key statement from this, except I'm going to just read some more, but here's the important thing she states. She says, the kind of things I wear draw a certain kind of guy. You dress, ladies, I'm talking to all the young ladies here. You dress seductively, you're going to attract those kind of guys. And my question is, do you want that kind of guy to be your husband? Yes or no? Some of you are still deciding. I'll let you decide. I'll go on here. So Rebecca continues. She says, I like to wear funky, cool, modern clothes and to find things that are modest and are not showing too much flesh and are not too tight. It's very, very hard to find that. Maybe she hasn't come to forum, but it's okay. <laughs> but it's such a worthwhile battle because I so believe in being modest and not leading other young girls to do the wrong thing, but also not causing my brothers in Christ to stumble and to lust. Now, I think this is so perceptive. You know, if anybody wanted to dress, dress cool and look cool, it should be Rebecca St. James. I mean, she's up there singing before all these thousands of people, producing all these, you know, uh, albums and so on and so forth. She would definitely love to dress cool and look cool and attract a big crowd. But here is such perception from a young girl, a young adult. She says, the way I dress, it's so important that I, I want to be modest because I don't want to lead other young girls astray. And I don't want my brothers in Christ to stumble and lust. She's a young girl who's committed to modesty. Amen. Let's read on here in, her, in this thing. She's, and now she's talking about now parents listen. I want you to listen to the influence how parents had on her life. So parents please listen carefully. You know a lot of times my dad. If he thinks that's, that something you know is a little bit more on the edge. Than what I usually wear. He'll say. Oh boy, that's a boy, get her outfit. I mean, I don't know if he speaks like that, but... So he'll kind of tease me about it. But it's something that really he has a problem with. He'll come straight to me. Sometimes, dad has this, I think, little girl, little daughter impression, you know, that makes him maybe a little bit more critical of something that I would wear. Mom kind of balances him out. And so I think between the two of them, you know, over my teen years, especially... I've gotten some good balanced feedback. If it was just my dad, it would have been a little bit more erring to one side, especially the conservative side. They always encouraged me, and I suppose especially my mom, through how she dressed, to wear things that were not showing too much skin, skirts and shorts that weren't too short, things that weren't too, too tight. It's like I always knew deep down that there was the right way to go too. And I wanted to live that way too. I didn't want to do something that would displease my parents. And I didn't want to do something that would displease God or hurt other people. And so I think it's my own sense of responsibility as a Christian before God that I want to do the right thing. Parents, I want you to listen. You know, how she, was, she is a celebrity. But yet they have an influence in the way she walks and the way she lives. Parents, you need to speak to your teens and twenties. Amen? Don't say, I'll send it to all people, says, and hopefully pastor will talk about it from the pulpit. But I just did. Now, you know, the response, the ball's back in your coat now. Amen? Let me continue here. It is interesting. When I first started out in music, coats were kind of the in thing. And so that's fine because, you know, you can be really modest with coats. 
Courts aren't quite a cool right, quite so cool right now. You know, funky tops and a lot of times a lot of flesh showing in these tops is kind of the thing that you see on TV. You know, at the stores and trying to find something that is modest and funky and cool is difficult. I have a few guidelines that I use for the things that I wear, both on stage and off. One of the things that I'm very aware of is I want to wear pants, especially on stage. Going around, you know, in a skirt would be very difficult, especially since I sing rock music. Also making sure that what I wear is not too tight, like showing every single curve. Like even the top that I'm wearing right now, if I wore it just as it is, it would be very, very tight. But I'm wearing two shirts underneath it so that it's not quite so form-fitting. That's something that can really lead a guy on in a bad way. And then she goes on. It does, and we have had a speaker at our church share with girls in our youth group a few years ago, and she said, we have guys coming to this youth group complaining because they don't know where to look. They all had to be face down. You know, they're coming to worship God and to draw closer to Him, and they're seeing girls that have such tight clothes, and not enough on. And they just don't know where to look. And so it's so distracting. Modesty is so key. A lot of girls I think don't understand the power of how you dress. And the impact it has on a brother in the Lord. On guys. This is coming from the mouth of a Christian rock artist. A recording artist. And she has made her stand very clear. Amen. Young ladies in the church, I'm speaking to you this morning. I'm telling you, you're a different woman. You're a different person. You are committed to purity and modesty. Amen. You say, well, you know, but I'll be the ugly, ugly duckling in my class. Or I'll be the ugly duckling in, before all uh, my friends. Well, listen, you may be an ugly duckling in their eyes. But my Bible says in 1 Peter 3, 1 Peter 3 that it is the beauty of an inner spirit that God is looking for. Do you want to look beautiful in God's eyes or beautiful in man's eyes? Take your choice. Amen. Now, let's, let me give you chapter and verse for this. If you go to 1 Timothy chapter 2. I warned you, it's going to get hot in here. 1 Timothy chapter 2. Verse 8 through 10. Paul is writing in 1 Timothy chapter 2. I desire therefore that the men pray everywhere, lifting up holy hands without wrath and doubting. So the setting is a prayer meeting. Men are lifting up holy hands. They're looking heavenwards. What does Paul continue? In like manner also, that the women adorn themselves in modest apparel. Excuse me, Paul, wait a minute. You just started talking about a prayer meeting where men are lifting holy hands without wrath or doubting. And you say in like manner also and you suddenly are changing the topic and you're talking about clothes women wear. So I suspect they had the same problem then that we are having today. Men are doing their best to lift up holy hands and look to God but something's pulling them down. <laughs> like... Hallelujah. 
And therefore he says, in like manner also that the women adorn themselves in modest apparel. With propriety and moderation. Not with braided hair or gold or pearls or costly clothing. But which is proper for women professing godliness with good works. So he's saying as men are praying, lifting holy hands and, and, and worshipping God. Women, you also join together in like manner. Women also, you do the same thing. But while all this is going on, women, I've got a little side note. Please dress modestly. Dress in sobriety. Dress in a way that shows reverence. Dress in a way that's discreet. That shows that you have some kind of self-control. And please dress in a way. And here's the standard Paul sets for us in verse 10. He says, a Christian lady must dress in such a way that it proclaims, professes godliness. Amen. So here's the thing. How do you choose clothes? Very simple. Does it proclaim godliness? Does it proclaim God-likeness? Does it proclaim piety? Does it proclaim devoutness to God? That's what determines your choice of clothing. Amen? Thanks, man. Just amen. <laughs> Titus chapter 2. Verse 4 and 5. Verse 4, he says that they admonish the young women to love their husbands, to love their children. Verse 5, to be discreet, chaste. To be discreet, to be chaste. That means to be sober, to be virtuous, to be clean, to be innocent, to be pure. He says, older women instruct the younger women that they should be discreet and they should be chaste. They should be pure, modest, clean. This is God's standard. I'm giving you chapter and verse. Amen. So you say, but you know, uh, everybody else, all my friends are dressing like this and you know, half the body is shown. It seems like there's not enough cotton growing in India. And, uh, and you're telling me I'm supposed to be dressing modest? Yes, because that's the word of God. Amen. You say, well, you know, but I really think uh, I can dress whatever I want to. It's, if he's got a problem, it's his problem. Well, not really. Because remember, the dress you wear will attract the kind of guy. The kind of dress you wear will attract that kind of guy. So it's not just his problem, it's your problem. Amen? And moreover, the Bible says, don't be a stumbling block. So you, you don't dress in a way that's seductive, that's exposing half your body. And... No, you dress modesty, decency, in a way that professes godliness. Because you are a daughter of light. Amen? Okay, all the women look up. I'll talk to the young men. Young men, you can look down. <laughs> You know, the Bible tells us, I'm, talking, I'm, speaking, I'm speaking to the young men right now. You know, the Bible tells us, young men, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 3 to 5, the Bible says, you know, that God has not called us to uh, immorality, but He's called us to, he has called, He's called us to wholeness. This is the will of God, your sanctification, you being set apart for God. 
And one of the greatest problems young men, we young men face, is with our eyes, what we see. Amen? All right, some of the men say amen. <laughs> and the Bible says in 1 Thessalonians 5.22, Stay away from all appearance of evil. Stay away from all appearance of evil. Now, I admit it's very difficult driving around the city streets of Bangalore. I mean, you just want to drive. You want to go from your home to church. But all along the way, and you've got your hallelujah praise and worship cassette running in your car. You want a very spiritual atmosphere. You're driving peacefully. I think God speak to me. You open your eyes, and the first thing you see is a big billboard with a half-naked woman and a small car beside her. And you don't know what to make of it. Are they selling the woman or selling the car? And here you're trying to have a spiritual experience with God. And you can't close your eyes because you might crash into the person in front of you. That's so difficult. I mean, the newspaper comes, you get up in the morning, you want to read the news. You take Times of India. The first thing you see is not the headlines, but scantily dressed women. I mean, any page you turn, middle section, last section, Bangalore Times, it's all over. And all you want to do is read the news. So you change over to Deccan Herald, and you find out that they're trying to be the same as Times of India. Then he said, well, maybe I'll, I'll stop subscription to Times of India, Deccan Hill. I'll get news through the internet. So you innocently click on a link and, gosh, I mean, <laughs> what's come up now? You wanted to get the news, but out comes something else. It's everywhere. It's everywhere. Can't help it. So what do you do? You've got to tell yourself. I'm a child of light. See, you cannot prevent the first look, but you can avoid the second glance. Amen? You can't prevent the first look. I mean, you didn't know the billboard was there. You were just, you know, you just looking around, suddenly the billboard, you know, all this thing. You, you can't prevent the first look, but you can always say no to the second glance. See, if you go past the billboard and you turn around, you've got a problem. So you got to make, you got to sing that little song you learned long back in Sunday school. Be careful, little eyes, what you see. Be careful, little eyes, what you see. For the Father up above is looking down in love, so be careful, little eyes, what you see. See, some things they taught us in Sunday school is very profound. <laughs> they were very prophetic. They knew what was coming up. 50 years ago, 50 years into, into time. So they taught you, be careful little eyes what you see. They taught us good. So all you do is, well, you couldn't prevent the first look. But you are so committed to purity and modesty in your life because you are a child of the light, you refuse the second glance. Amen. You say, no, I can't do that. I'm committed. 
to purity. I'm a child of the light. I've come out of darkness. I'm in the light. So I'm committed to purity. And I just want to quickly hit on a few more things and we close here. Another thing is about dating. You know, when you're dating, avoid getting physically involved when dating. Avoid going to places where you're likely to do things that you do not want others to know. Avoid being alone with just the two of you, example, behind closed doors. You say, but you know, everybody else is doing it. But remember, you are different. Amen. You, have, you are committed to purity in your life. Now let me speak to parents. You know, many times, parents, you need to wake up. You need to, you need to speak to your teens and twenties. Amen. Say, uh, you know, I'll call the pastor. Pastor, can you please talk to my son? Can you please talk to my daughter? I'm sure we can, but you know, don't try to get the church to do what God made you responsible for. I mean, after all, they're your kids, right? They weren't born in the church. Amen? So you need to be responsible as long as they are staying under your roof, eating of your table. You are the boss. So don't be so spineless, parents, to think that the church will take care of it. You know, yes, we will teach them the word of God. We will try to get them in the Holy, feel the Holy Ghost and turn on to God. But listen, you are their mother. You are their father. They're living in your house. They're eating of your table. They're drinking your water. You are paying the bills. So you, your house, your rules. I mean, think about this, so ridiculous, you know, Johnny, I hope nobody here is called Johnny, or let's change the name, Tommy. <laughs> you know, Tommy brings his girl home, he's studying in Christ College, he brings her, mom, you know, this is so and so, please meet, you know, Rachel, or whoever, you know, just picking names, okay, not pick on anybody here. Please meet, her mom says, oh, hi, Rachel, uh, what, would you like a cup of tea, would you like something? She says, no, mom, we'll just go to our room, and so Tommy and Rachel go off to the room, close the door. And uh, mom is busy preparing a cup of tea to bring to Rachel. Mom, before you make that cup of tea, knock on the door. Get Tommy and Rachel out of that door. They've got no business sitting behind a closed door in your house. Don't be so spineless. You say, but if I talk to Tommy, he may not come back home tomorrow. Good for you. Amen? Come on, don't be so spineless. Go knock on those and say, Tommy, in my house, if you bring a girl, you're going to sit in the living room. No sitting behind closed doors. This is my house. You say, but pastor, I send him to all people's church. He attends all the youth meetings. He comes and tells me of all your wonderful sermons. I'm sure he's a very godly boy, pastor. He's been attending APC for three years. Mom, Tommy has been very faithful in attending church. He's been coming to church very faithfully. But mom, if you haven't realized it, he's got something called hormones. <laughs> and we do not dehormonize people at APC. <laughs> so while it may be true he's coming to APC, I can assure you, you have to, you're responsible at home. <laughs> Amen. 
So parents, I'm just trying to get you the, get, get the point across to you that you are a parent. You have to speak to your son and daughter with their teens or 20s, whatever age they are. As long as they're staying in your home, you're responsible for them. You've got to enforce the standards of purity and modesty that the Bible requires us. Amen? As a church, we'll do our part. We will tell them the word of God. We'll, we'll, you know, we'll tell them what's right and what's wrong. But parents, you've got to put your foot down. Amen? If you allow Tommy and Rachel to sit behind a closed door, forget all the times they've been sitting here at APC. It may not help them. Because in that moment of weakness, homans can just, you know, overcome all the sermons they've ever heard and all the hands that have been laid on their heads. And that's it. And then you come complaining, Pastor. And you don't realize where you have failed in setting the standards in your own home. And, uh, you know, putting your foot down. Finally, married couples, we need to maintain purity in our lives. Husbands, wives, we must be committed. We are Christians. We are people of the light. We must be committed to sexual purity and modesty in our own marriages. Husbands, wives, find your sexual needs met within your marriage. Refuse to look outside. Amen? So, but I know my boss. He's looking outside. You don't. Amen? Because you're different. You are a child of of the light. Even if others are doing it, remember your difference. Let's stand up to our feet this morning as we get ready to close. <clears throat> Call the worship team up. We are different. The Bible says we are a chosen generation a royal priesthood, a holy, consecrated nation, a consecrated people, his own special people, so that we could show forth the praises of the one who has called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. You and I have been called out of darkness to live as people of the light. The Bible says we are light. Walk as children of light. We are going to be radically different from the world. In your place of work, as a professional, as an employee, as an employer, as a, a, house, a, as a housekeeper. You're going to be radically different from those around you. But that's what God wants of you. You're different. As a young man, young woman, as parents, as husbands, wives, we are different. We are committed to purity in our lives. There's no compromise. Compromise always leads to captivity. The day you start compromising in your life, you can be sure you're down into your own prison door. You're down into your own prison. Compromise always leads to captivity. This morning, we're going to stand here in the presence of God and say, God, I realize you called me out of darkness into your marvelous light. I want to walk as a person of light. Change me in areas that I need change. You know, you and I are naked before God. I may not know everything about you, but God Almighty knows everything in your life. As you're standing here in the presence of God, I want you to come to a place of commitment to integrity and honesty in your life, in every area of life. 
I know we've all made mistakes. You know, let's forget the past. I'm not condemning us about the past. I'm talking about today. I'm talking about now. I'm talking about from now onwards. Don't condemn yourself for the past. It's over. It's gone. You can't change it. But from now onwards, you and I can do something to be people of light, to walk as children of light. I'm not asking you to condemn yourself about the past. I'm asking you to be committed for the future. To be a person of light. To be a person who's committed to integrity and honesty. To a person who's, be a person who's committed to purity and modesty. You may be a young man. You may be a college student, a school a going student. You may be a, a young professional. You may be an employee. You may be an employer. You may be a, a, a housekeeper. It doesn't matter who you are. God has called you to be a person of a life. Consecrate ourselves before God and say, God, I want to be a person of light. I want to walk in that standard that you set for me. Not being conformed to this world, but I have the courage, I have the guts to be different. The guts to be honest. But I'm tempted to be dishonest. The guts, the guts to be to maintain my integrity when Lying would be an easy way out. The guts to maintain my purity even when my flesh cries out. The guts to be modest even when I feel the pressure of those around me. The pressure of indecency and the pressure of immodesty. But I'll choose to be pure and holy in your eyes. God give me the grace. Saints, I want you to pray. I love God to do a work in your heart this morning. I love God to bring that change in your life, in my life. Let's pray. you said we are a chosen generation we are a royal priesthood we are a holy nation we are your own special people so that we can show forth the praises of the one who has called us out of darkness into his marvelous light father Help us to be this kind of people. To really show forth your praises, O oh God, in our world.